weeks ago, I read a familiar text in a very old translation. It's 1 Corinthians. It's sometimes called the love chapter, but instead of using the word love, I used the old English word charity because, I said, our English word love doesn't capture the nuance that is embedded in the rich concept that is this word. Uh, I chose a word that would cause us to pause, cause us to question. What? Charity? What does that mean? Because when we think of charity, we think of giving away money, and in the context, you can tell that's not what they're talking about. So, what is going on? If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not charity, I am nothing. If I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge but have not charity, I am nothing. If I have faith that can move mountains, if I give my goods to feed the poor, if I give my body to a martyr's death, but I have not charity, I profit nothing. We looked at some of the nuance of this word charity that week. Charity, we saw, does suffer fools. Charity shifts focus from the well-being of the self to the well-being of the whole. Also, we saw, charity is so deeply settled in its own worth as carrier of divine life that it is not easily provoked. It is able from that stable foundation to be resilient, to be strong. Charity, we saw, is what is born in us when we feed our souls. When we water the garden of our souls, charity is what grows. When we awaken to the true nature of our beings, when we touch the interior center place of divine life, charity is naturally born as we are walking the spiritual journey. It's really a simple core idea in our spiritual tradition that you and I carry the breath of God. It's right there at the very first story in our book. Uh, The very deepest part of us, the part that makes us us in a very real way is the breath of God. And the word breath and the word spirit are the same word. The Spirit of God is what animates us. It's what makes us alive. It is the very breath that we breathe in and out. So it's a bedrock truth of ours. We're carriers of the Holy Spirit, which means that God love this rich concept that can't really be contained in the word love, that God love is in us. God love is in us because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God animates us. Because God's Spirit is God love. And so it is within us. All of the nuanced meaning that is carried in this word that we are calling charity, it is in us, it is in all of us. Charity is hardwired in us. It's O-M-E, original manufacturer's equipment. It is part of the wiring that we come with in our humanness. And the point of the spiritual life is to draw that essential center out of our beings, to draw it from under the layers of false self and shadow self and ego as self, and to draw it into manifest realization to draw forth the indwelling divine love so that it orients our daily lives. So this picture that I've had up here, this is an icon. It's an icon of the Eastern Orthodox tradition. It's from a Russian church. It's about 600 years old. But it depicts a legend that is much older than that. It's a story of four martyrs. 
four people who gave their lives in commitment, deep commitment to goodness. Now, as legends do, it probably started as an actual episode, but over the years of telling and retelling and re-retelling, it developed the power of myth. What myth is, is truth and story wrapped in layers and layers and layers of meaning-making. So anyway, the story started as the story of a mom and three daughters. Sophia is the mom, and the daughters are fetus, space, and caritas. And the story goes that Sophia and her three daughters were killed by a Roman emperor for standing firm against the imperial power of Rome. Rome wanted this new developing spiritual tradition to quit being dissenters, to stop being nonconformists, and to get on board with what everybody was doing so that the uh, empire would stay unified. And to them, if they were to do that, that would be tantamount to abandoning the spiritual life And so they wouldn't do it, and so they were killed and they were buried along the Appian Way, one of the famous roads in early Rome. So that was the story. But over centuries and centuries of telling that story and retelling it, the story began to serve another purpose. It began a text from which to speak to people about how the spiritual life works. By telling the story of this mom and three daughters, they were telling the story of how our spiritual lives unfold, to teach a spiritual lesson about spiritual living. The mother's name, Sophia, is the word for wisdom. The daughters there, therefore, are the daughters of wisdom. And the daughters of wisdom, this story tells us, are fides, faithfulness, space, hopefulness, and caritas, charitableness, charity. So walk the wisdom way, this ancient narrative tells us. Walk the way of the spiritual life, and your journey will give birth within you. It will give birth to faithfulness. It will give birth to hopefulness. But the greatest of these, our ancient texts tell us, the wisdom way will give birth to charity. These attributes, faithfulness, hopefulness, charity, these attributes that define the way that we want to be are daughters born of the wisdom way. So, what we are being told from our tradition, pursue the spiritual life. Pursue the way of wisdom And these things will be born within you. These things will be awakened in you. The bigger life, the charity life, the life outlined outlined in that love chapter, it's in us because the Spirit of God is in us. But it must be drawn forth. It must be drawn from under the layers of ego and under the layers of falseness. It must be drawn from under the layers of fear and of shame and of the compensatory strategies that we develop in our lives which again is why we walk the spiritual life. It is why we walk the way of wisdom. So when we do what we do on the spiritual journey, when we tend to our souls, when we walk the journey together, when we listen to the interior voice, when we engage in the ancient practice, this thing happens to us. Charity. Charity happens to us. We look up one day and we find ourselves having given birth to charity. We find ourselves becoming loving. We find ourselves becoming kind. We find ourselves becoming compassionate. 
and empathetic, unselfish. Charity is what happens when we feed our souls. We find that charity is what happens when we take up the spiritual life. So as I was thinking about this for today, as we're kind of in a break between the third and the fourth part of this lesson on transcending a religion of fear, as I was thinking about this, I remembered a story that I told uh, in the church, I think it was four or five years ago, and I thought it bore repeating. Uh, it's the story that it came from one of those feel-good segments that news broadcasts do to end their show. And it was a story of a bunch of uh, middle school kids uh, who you could say, kind of stumbled into, accidentally stumbled into an aspect of the indwelling divine life. So on the news broadcast, the story opened with a grainy video of a football play. It was shot from where you would imagine the announcer's booth would be in a typical middle school football bleacher stadium, if you'd call it that. And in the video, some kid breaks free from the line and begins to streak toward the end zone. And he gets all the way down to the two-yard line, and then he falls down. And the fans just go wild because he was so close. There was no one around him, and the coach is standing on the sideline, and you can see him screaming away. And after you've seen that video, the camera pans to this kid's face, the one on the left. He's the quarterback of the team. And as he's watching the video, and you're watching him watching the video, he's got a smirk on his face. (laughs) He looks like a kid who knows something that we don't know. And uh, he's a kid with a plan. Turns out that there was a kid on the team with a disability. That's the second one, the one in the middle. His name was Keith. And part of Keith's disability was that uh, he lacked social awareness, and particularly social awareness around personal space. So Keith hugs people a lot. And he especially hugs middle school football players, and as you can imagine, hugging middle school football players overtly and frequently has not made Keith popular. As a matter of fact, that's one of the way one of the kids said it, quite that bluntly. Yeah, Keith's not a popular kid. But as the season progressed, something happened. There were a few opinion leaders on the team who began to change this hugging dynamic. Over time, they made Keith's hugging somehow okay. And after they began to make it okay, other players began to begrudgingly allow Keith to hug them and sometimes even began to hug him back. And so, the smirking kid said, we had a plan. We decided that it would be cool to do something nice for Keith. So they ran the football down to the two-yard line and they took a fall. And on the next play, they ignored the coach's call and they handed the ball to Keith, the kid who was lacking in the social awareness. And then they surrounded him. And the camera couldn't even see Keith on that second play because the whole team had wrapped him up and were protecting him and pushing and elbowing and digging and shoving until Keith was in the end zone and Keith had scored a touchdown. And it was a moving story. Keith's parents were interviewed. They spoke about the peace and well-being that began to emerge in their lives because they came to realize that it wasn't just them that was caring for Keith, but a whole community of people were surrounding him and loving him. But that wasn't the part of the story that I found most moving. What moved me was what the third kid, the kid on the right, said. His name's Justice. 
Now, he presented himself in the interview as a typical football player kid, one of the popular kids, a little self-absorbed, uh, good-looking kind of <laughs> kid that kind of made it in the middle school world. And as one of the popular kids, he was a little self-absorbed, and he said, this play, yeah, it wasn't my idea, he admitted that. In fact, he said, it never crossed my mind that it would be good to give someone else glory, especially someone like Keith. And then what was surprising is the, the boy began to weep. Big crocodile tears on TV, he began to weep. He said, I went through a big change through that football play. I've always been somebody who just thinks about myself. I cared about me. He said, maybe I'd care about my friends. But this thing we did, it showed me how important it is to see everybody, to think about everybody's day, to think about everybody's life. Now, what the story didn't say was who those, those opinion leaders were, because nobody could seem to remember who started the begrudging acceptance of Keith's hugs. But it was their small acts of charity that put in place a chain of events a dynamic that changed one boy's life by inviting him in from the outside. A few small catalytic acts of charity also changed a self-satisfied popular kid's life, awakened him to a lifetime reality that there are limits to ego as self. You can chase and pursue all you want your ego strategies, but in the end, it's going to come up empty. Those ideas were stripped away as illusion that you could focus on the well-being of the part at the exclusion of the well-being of the whole and somehow that would be viable. And a cocky quarterback has changed. A disabled boy's life and his family's life has changed. A popular kid's life has changed. And all the kids that the popular kid will impact, lives are changed. The culture of a middle school is changed. That's what charity does. <clears throat> charity is power. Sometimes it's fierce power. Sometimes it's gentle power. Sometimes it's challenging and confrontive. Sometimes it's engaging and embracing. But charity is both the fruit of transformative power, but it's also the fuel for transformative power. Charity is powerful in middle schools, and in families, at your job, in our city, in our nation. The fruit of the well-tended soul is compassion. The fruit of the well-tended soul is empathy. The fruit of the well-tended soul is the current concern for the other, the concern for the whole as opposed to just the part. The fruit of the tended soul is unselfishness and empathy and trustworthiness. It is kindness without thought for return. All of these that encompass the rich tapestry that fall under that word, charity. Charity is the capstone of the virtue curriculum. It's the source from which we build lives that are sustained. Aquinas, one of our great theologians, spoke of charity as the ultimate expression of the human spirit. It was, he said, what happens to us when we awaken to our divine centers. So charity originates in the divine spirit that is in each of us. That's where it comes from. So it's in every one of us. 
Often it's slumbering, eclipsed by the clawing needs of ego, eclipsed by the inner drives for security or for power or for affirmation, eclipsed by our false self-strategies for gaining happiness in our lives, those strategies that don't work in the end. But even though it's eclipsed, even though it's hidden, it's there. It's in us. It is part of us. It is embedded inside us. Now, one other reason, one other reason that the word love, the English word love, doesn't capture this rich concept is because our English word love has an emotional element that is pretty much defines it. In other words, love is a feeling. But charity is something different. It has feeling within it, to be sure. It has emotion connected to it, to be sure. But it is something that happens to us as we move into our truer selves. Charity grows within and erupts within us as we awaken to the divine love that encompasses everything, and it begins to change how we see everything. Because we see ourselves as a part of and connected to everything, because the same love that is in us and the same love of which we are recipients is the love that is in the other, every one of the other. And so consequently, we begin to find ourselves unable to differentiate between self and other because that same value of preciousness that we carry is carried by the other. The same value and worth that is characterized by the divine that is within me is characterized by the divine that is within the other. And so consequently, it changes how we see fully belonging, fully loved, fully precious, everything even the other. And when divine love awakens in us, we find ourselves simply living in this truth, living and reacting and building life on the basis of this truth. It changes everything because we see differently than we saw before. It is more than simply the emotion that attends the feeling of love. It is the orienting principle by which we see this reality in a different vein. That's what happens to us when we tend our souls. That's what happens to us when we do the work of the spiritual journey. So to help us, here's an idea for this week. Maybe what you could do is keep an eye out for troubles, the troubles of the other. Maybe you could keep an eye out for suffering, the suffering of the other. Maybe you could look for troubles. Maybe you could look for suffering in the lives of those who are in your own circle. But maybe there's an adversary, the knucklehead at work, or the people that you get angry at when you see them on the news. Look for the troubles of the other. Look for the suffering of the other. This is just an exercise. You don't have to go out and do anything. You just notice it. See it. And then a secondary part of this exercise would be to find that place, for surely it is within you, where charity would bear upon the suffering and the troubles of the other. Monitor that place in you that cares, because it's there. Now you will probably also find some defense mechanisms that you have built to keep yourself from feeling vulnerable, because to be honest, charity makes us vulnerable. When we carry the care of the other, we find ourselves feeling 
the potential for all kinds of hurt that could accrue to us because we give a damn. It's much easier not to. When you don't give a damn, you don't have to hurt when the other hurts. So you will find inside of you all kinds of defense mechanisms, nice stories, nice strategies, things that you've built up that you don't have to feel those feelings that accrue to us when charity is in full flower in our souls. So watch yourself this week. Watch your response to stories that you might hear of hardship and difficulty. And again, look within yourself for the part of you that cares and would want to help. It is very difficult to watch news coverage of Syria this many years in and see that suffering going on again and again and not zip by it because we've had to build up some kind of a defense strategy. And so perhaps allow yourself this week to feel the pain that goes with those images, to feel the pain that goes with that level of human suffering. Because here's what our tradition tells us. Their suffering is our suffering. Their pain is our pain. And so when we insulate ourselves just as a survival strategy, we end, ourselves, we end up insulating ourselves from what is the divine life within. Another dimension of charity that you could perhaps look for this week is captured by the word compassion. That word compassion comes from two roots, co and passion. It really means literally to hurt with the other. It means to sense our own solidarity with the pain of the other. <clears throat> so watch for that part of you. It's in you because the Spirit of God is within you. Watch it and see that part of you that knows the connection that we have to the other. Because when their homes are bombed, our homes are bombed. When their sons are shot by the police, our sons are shot by the police. When they lose their jobs, we lose our jobs. When their children suffer, our children suffer. When they get trapped in addiction, we get trapped in addiction. Charity is not an easy path. Charity is demanding. Charity is painful. Charity is difficult. It is so much easier to just rely on those defense strategies. It's so much easier to blame. It's so much easier to dismiss. It's easier to tell ourselves a partial story instead of the complete story, some way of letting ourselves off of the hook that charity just impales us upon. They're poor because they're lazy. They're addicted because they're weak. They behave badly because they're morally inferior. Check. I don't have to think about that anymore. I don't have to feel that pain anymore. The middle schooler was so wise, Justin. He said, I'm the kind of kid that focuses pretty much on my own life. My own life fades into the background when charity awakens in the soul. It's just a thing. It happens to us. It's our tradition. Keith's suffering becomes my suffering. And then Syria's suffering becomes my suffering. Charity and compassion and altruism, these are at the heart of Jesus' very succinct teaching that we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So what it says is, take the initiative when you see someone in trouble, someone who is diminished by life, 
someone who has been diminished by circumstances, and imagine what you would want someone to do for you if you were in that position. What would you like for someone to do to come alongside you if you were in a troubled position? What would it look like for someone to encourage you in the midst of your discouragement? What would it look like for you to not feel so alone in your isolation? If you didn't know how to make life work, if you didn't know how to help your children thrive, if you didn't have a sponsor to help you get ahead in your company, if you had some lack, how would you want someone to come alongside you? You certainly wouldn't want them to be condescending, so we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't want them to make us feel stupid. We wouldn't want them to poke at our already pretty pronounced sense of inadequacy. But we would want help. And that's how Jesus summed up the virtue of charity in the golden rule. Go through life looking for hurt. Don't build up defense strategies so that you don't have to feel the pain that goes with that hurt. But ask yourself, what would you want if you were the one suffering that hurt? And then do your small part of that. This is the fruit of the divine life that is in us. This is what happens when we walk the spiritual journey. Now this is a perennial lesson. It comes up in some form again and again because it's at the bedrock of our tradition. So I have given these kinds of lessons many times. It's a perennial lesson. But there's also a perennial response that comes up when people hear this lesson, and I've given it enough times to know what that response is. And it's usually the feeling of being overwhelmed. There's usually the response that says, oh man, I am paddling like crazy just to keep my head above water, and now I've got to do that. That just might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. But I would like to encourage you to remember what I said earlier. Charity is the fruit of the spiritual life. Charity is the fruit of the four kinds of spiritual practice. We can only have marginal success by trying really hard to be charitable. Now you can have some success and by all means try your best. Try really hard to be good, try really hard to be uh, um, charitable, try really hard to give yourself away, think about the whole instead of just the self, try really hard to do that. But that's kind of not the point because you will have limited success at best. The point is to tend the garden of the soul. The point is desire and pay attention. The point is to listen carefully and obey tenaciously. The point is the two-step dance. The point is to work the circle because of what we began with. The indwelling divine. We are each carriers of the Spirit of God. It is within us. All the charity that you're ever going to have is already inside of you. It's not an issue of going out and getting something and doing more of it. It's an issue of awakening to what is already there. You are charitable. There's just a bunch of stuff blocking the way. So years ago, I spoke about wisdom, walking the wisdom way, giving birth to these three daughters, faith, hope, and charity. And a lady in our church wrote me an email, and I thought it was such a good email that I saved it and put it into a file, so here it is from some time ago. When you spoke about the, our interior wisdom lady, she said, giving birth to being pregnant with faith and hope and charity, she said, I was moved because I really do want to make a difference in the world. 
I really do want to bring charity into my circle. I really do want to bring loving kindness and have it radiate through me to the world around me. But I am realizing as I'm sitting here that I have a prerequisite need that's in front of that need. I have a prerequisite desire in front of that desire, and that is that I desire not to exit the way that I exit. Because, she said, I exit too many places too easily too early. Staying, she said, is really hard for me. Engaging is really hard for me. Participating in the world, she said, is really hard for me. So, she said, I have a corollary desire for growth, and that is that I want to grow enough to be able to stay so that I can be present and have charity flow through me to my world. Which means that I want to grow in the courage to be here and to be real. And then I want to do it again tomorrow and then the day after tomorrow so that I can be in that place where charity radiates through me. Now the reason I saved it was because it was such a great email because it really does highlight the way this spiritual journey works. We do desire. Desire awakens within us. I long for charity to be manifest in my life, which in turn awakens an even deeper desire, actually a more pressing, not more important, but a more pressing desire. I desire the strength, I desire the courage not to retreat too quickly. And I've just watched so many lives unfold on this spiritual journey for so long that I say with some kind of confidence that when that happens, we are almost done. Because as soon as desire is awakened, and as we begin paying attention, that first dance, uh, that first step of the two-step dance, again and again I've seen that when we awaken that level of desire, the spirit of the divine within us is right there to point us to what is next, to point us down this path. We don't have to go out and white-knuckle it into becoming charitable people. What we need to do is feed the spiritual life and the journey and charity begins to unfold in us as we dance the dance, the two-step dance, desire and pay attention. We start that level of desire and it is uncanny how often we just stumble upon invitations to come and be part of some kind of spiritual practice. It's uncanny how often we just stumble onto invitations into a deeper way of being in relationship, a spiritual friendship that is so powerfully transformative. It is uncanny how often we get invited into conversations that are deeper than we typically engage, and those conversations begin to transform us and point us and give us insights. You desire and you pay attention, and really all we've done is put together soil and sun and water and seed. The seed does all the work. The divine that is within you, it's already compassion. It's just a matter of being in the environment in which that growth process strips away all the other. <laughs> so that's my prayer. It's my prayer that growth flourishes in your life and growth flourishes in mine. It's my prayer that growth flourishes in our community and that the fruit of that growth will be what the fruit of spiritual growth is, that we become a charitable people, that we become a charitable community, 
and that this divine life and love flows in us and flows through us and charity comes to full flower among us. So Holy Spirit, may that be so among us. In Jesus' name, amen.